0: Hello and welcome to this session of the Academy of Ideas, Arts and Society Forum, Morality in Hell and the Power of Dante's Inferno. My name is Wendy Earle, and I convene the Arts and Society Forum. This is the fifth in the Zoom-based series of Ask an Artist, What Makes Art Work? And I'm looking forward to seeing how the series develops as we emerge out of the COVID uh, coronavirus uh, hell. In this session, novelist Darlene Cummings we'll talk about the inspiration for his latest novel, Dante's Divine Comedy, specifically The Inferno or Hell. Dolan is a writer with two novels under his belt, The Existential Leap published a few years ago and just published Gehenna, a novel of heaven and hell. He's going to talk to us about how Dante's Hell inspired him to write his latest book. He'll speak for 10 to 15 minutes and then I'll ask him a few questions. Then I'll invite all of you to make put for, to, to, for questions and comments, and we'll take the discussion forward.
1: Um, thanks, Wendy, for the chance to do this. Um, it's really nice to be able to talk about a book that um, I like and also to mention my own. Um, wh- I mean, just so we're on the same page, I assume most people are vaguely, at, at least, familiar, if not much more familiar um, with Dante's Inferno, uh, the Divine Comedy where he's Dante uh, imagines himself guided through hell, uh, purgatory, and paradise by Virgil, the Roman poet. And so he explores and and discovers all these things. And obviously, it's a very iconic uh, cultural artifact that's been referred to in all kinds of ways over the centuries, 700 years old. Um, And hell has always been the most compelling of the three. Interestingly enough, I think people have found the the characters very gripping and so on. And I just want to talk a bit about why I think that is. and the, the first thing to say, obviously, is that it's it's uh, published written at a time in, in medieval Europe when the Catholic Church is taken for granted; everyone believes and 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 the teachings of the Church. So, to some extent, there's a there's a kind of shared heritage there. But it also draws quite a lot on classical imagery and uh, mythology, um, which is important. Um, and the, the I think the imagery is one of the most uh, things that sticks with you. The way he describes what, how people are punished in hell for the particular crimes um, is very graphic and quite sometimes quite shocking. Um, and the key idea is contrapasso, which is this idea that there's a kind of uh, equivalent punishment for what you've done on Earth. That you get you get your justice arts um, for the kind of thing that you've done. Um, uh, so I, I want to read three very short um, excerpts um, that illustrate that. Um, there's lots of fantastic translations. Um, the one I'm, one I'm particularly using now is by Robert Durling. Um, so let me start. Uh, the first little bit is actually before we even get into hell proper, there's a, there's a uh, kind of anteroom where people are left who are so rubbish they couldn't even get into hell. They're not allowed into hell. Um, it's often described as the, the lukewarm. And so I'll, I'll just read a few lines. Dante is speaking. And I, my head girt with horror, said, Master, what is this I hear? And what, what people is this who are so overcome by grief? And he to me, this wretched measure is kept by the miserable souls who lived without infamy and without praise. They are mixed with that cowardly chorus of angels who were not rebels, yet were not faithful to God, but were for themselves. The heavens reject them so as not to be less beautiful, nor does deep hell and receive them for the wicked would have some glory from them. And I, Master, what is so grievous that it makes them lament so loudly? He replied, I will tell you very briefly. They have no hope of death, and their blind life is so base that they are envious of every other fate. The world permits no fame of them to exist. Mercy and justice alike, disdain them. Let us not speak of them, but look and pass on. So we won't even waste any more time on on them. Um, Then we come a bit further on to... um, The lustful, um, uh, who people who had no control over themselves, who were just driven by their own uh, 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 lusts. And so Dante says, I came into a place where all light is silent, that groans like the sea in a storm, when it is lashed by conflicting winds. The infernal whirlwind, which never rests, drives the spirits before its violence, turning and striking It tortures them. When they come before the landslide, there they shrieks, the wailing, the lamenting, there they curse God's power. I understood that to this torment were damned the carnal sinners, who subject their reason to their lust." Um, Again, that contrapasso. And then finally, moving to much further on, um, there's a a circle in hell for uh, sources of discord, um, schismatics. And for complicated reasons, we can go into, if, if, if you like, Muhammad, the the Prophet Muhammad is is, is found here. Um, But I'll just read the passage. Surely a barrel, losing centerpiece or half-moon, is not so broken as one I saw torn open from the chin to the farting place. Between his legs dangled his intestines, the pluck was visible, and the wretched bag that makes shit of what is swallowed. While I was all absorbed in the sight of him, He, gazing back at me, now with his hands opened up his breast, saying, now see how I've spread myself. See how Muhammad is torn open. Ahead of me, Ali goes weeping, his face cloven from chin to forelock. And all the others you see here were swords of scandal and schism while they were alive, and therefore they are cloven in this way. There's a devil back there who carves us so cruelly, putting the edge of his sword to teach to each in his room. Once we have circled through the suffering road, for the women's have closed before any confronts them again. Um, So that's a a favorite passage. And if anyone's interested, I have an illustration here um, by Gustav Dorr. Anyway, most of the imagery comes from this contrapasso idea. And as you see, it's very graphic and visceral, literally, in in the case of of Muhammad. Um, And I think that's part of the uh, enduring appeal but in a way, it's kind of obvious, you know, you, you, you do, some, do a bad thing, you suffer a similarly bad punishment um, for eternity. But the other thing that interests me, perhaps even more about um, uh, the Divine Comedy in, in this in particular, is that it's a dialogue, the relationship between Dante and Virgil. And the fact that Virgil, in fact, is not a Christian. So this is the Christian hell in Catholic Europe, um, but Virgil died before Christ. So he can't be a kind of ultimate authority on kind of Christian theology. He can talk about Aristotle, which he 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 does, and that's an important part of Catholic theology at the time. But he's not he's not he's, he's not a, he's not actually a Christian. And so you have these kind of almost debates between um, Dante and Virgil, discussions of what what they're seeing and why why is um, this sin punished in this way or that uh, in another way. And that that for me is really interesting because there's a distance between the two characters that gives it psychological depth. And that's what I was interested in exploring in my book in uh, different ways I'll, I'll mention a bit later. But I think, so, you know, you can, you can, only, it's not that we say that's, nobody one us ever says and how that's not fair. Why, why is this person being punished? They shouldn't be punished. But there, is, there are discussions about what makes things particularly sinful. And the big question for anyone now um, adapting this, um, really put it bluntly, is what do you do about the sodomites? so you know famously that um Dante's got has being punished for homosexuality and if you don't think homosexuality is inherently sinful then how do you treat that and so i i found that one of the most interesting um parts of hell and and was really interested in trying to, to, to pick apart what, what is the sin here exactly um what is the, and you know what is the contrapassal um so to give a rough idea that it, it comes uh uh, the whole The whole of hell is roughly divided between uh sins of uh, of of passion of incontinence um, it's not the don't we use it now but um lust gluttony wrath, sullenness, these kinds of things which start with perfectly natural human passions but take them to a a, a, a sinful extent and so that's that's the kind of the, uh, the upper half of hell is like that. Then when you get below that, you come to sins of malice where people have deliberately done things, you know, use their intelligence even to, uh, to to do bad things. And that's again roughly divided into two things, violence and fraud. So you don't accidentally commit violence. No one's in hell for manslaughter, it's about murder assault kind of thing. And fraud is even worse because you're using your God-given intelligence in a perverse way um, to, to 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 calm people and so that that's really bad. And so homosexuality comes under violence, interesting enough. Violence itself is divided into three parts. You can commit violence against others. You can commit violence against yourself, suicide or self-destruction. Or you can commit violence against God or against nature another way of thinking about it. And that, I think, is a really interesting um, one. So in there you've got blasphemy, which is obviously you can't physically harm God, but you can insult him. So that's, that's the first thing you come to. Um, but then homosexuality and usury, you know, you can intuitively say, oh, I understand why some people said that was against nature. The really interesting thing, I think, is that Dante didn't really know himself why these things were particularly sinful. He's remarkably sanguine about the, 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 the homosexuals he encounters. The first one, um, uh, Brunetto Latini, is a former teacher of Dante's and he's very fond of them and he treats them with great respect. Um, he lets to meet some Florentine nobles and again he's deferential almost these are, these are wonderful guys if only I could go down and hug them So what, what's going on here? It's very peculiar so he doesn't question well of course there are sodomites they must be in hell uh, but he doesn't really explain there's no animus there he gets very angry with some of the other sinners but not, not with the, the, the sodomites and then when it comes to usury or actually not when it comes to usury but a bit earlier when Dante explains the geography of hell and how things are laid out He even says, well, remind me, what's the big deal with usury? I mean, and we can all probably see what it's taken to an extreme with loan sharks and so on, that that usury is wrong, but why is it fundamentally sinful? And Dante's answer is, to me, very unconvincing. He basically mumbles something about Aristotle, and he talks about Aristotle's physics, not his ethics, explaining why it's wrong to make money from, um, from money. But there doesn't really seem to be any moral force there. So that was um there's very interesting ambiguity there that these sins things are recognized as sins but dante doesn't really seem to get why and doesn't really f- you know these are actually very short passages as well when you come to the sodomites there's no discussion there's nothing graphic um he talks to he talks to people and so on and it, it's very kind of almost elliptical oh yeah that's because there's sodomites and again the the, the 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 encounter with the user is it's just a few lines there's there's no real exploration of why user it might be sinful so I spent a lot more time in my book exploring um, those things and trying to understand um, what, what, what they're seen as sinful in a sinful way that's morally satisfying to me and hopefully to the reader, um, you know, rather than just accepting a traditional understanding of what's sinful and what isn't. Um, so I wanted to give an illustration from further on. Um, I'll read a passage from my book, which is, uh, when we come, uh, it's a, a, it, under the rubric of fraud, there's a place in hell called malbolg, which is all these descending circles where people are punished for different kinds of fraud. And uh, one of my favorite passages is where they encounter Ulysses, and um, the, the Greek head hero Odysseus. Uh, Dante's Italian was so Ulysses. Um, and you think, what, what's Ulysses doing in hell? He's like a hero. I mean. And Okay, yeah, the, the, the Trojan horse was a bit sneaky, but that doesn't actually seem to be what he's being punished for. It's, it's something different and much more challenging, I think, ethically. Um, because, um, well, I'll read it. And that the first part of what I'm going to read is more or less straight paraphrase from Dante, um, in my own words, of have thrown my own kind of flourishes. Um, that's Ulysses talking, telling a story, and then there's a brief discussion between um, the two protagonists, who in my case are not um, Dante and Virgil, but DCI Alexander, who's a character from my previous novel, and the author, who's probably me. Um, so sorry about that, but I'm in this. Um, and they're going to they discuss what, what they've seen. So basically, they come to this, this, um, this, this valley of, of hell, and there are these flames racing around. Um, and at first it looks very beautiful. It's like looking down on a city with the lights flickering and just these flames going around and around. And then he realized it is a sinner trapped and and being torched within each flame and and fueling the the fire. And and, um, Alexander um, notices that one of these flames has a double head flickering with with two heads. And he says, can we talk to that one? I want to know. So the author calls him over and says, come and tell us your story. So I'll read. It shouldn't take too long. Um, uh, The greater of the two horns of flame began to quiver and formed a tongue to utter the words that now came forth from the fire. It was Ulysses who told the author of his journey home from the Trojan War, how he had been lured from his course by the sorceress Circe, and how even having escaped her, he found himself unwilling to return to his home and his family. His epic adventures thus far had given him a lust for the knowledge that comes from experiencing extremes. He wanted to see the world, to see humanity at its best and at its worst. He and his crew set off for the ends of the earth. Ulysses had hurled himself and his loyal men onto the open sea like a piece of driftwood tossed onto the waves. Buffeted this way and that by the capricious sea, they gradually surveyed the coasts of Europe and Africa, and the islands in between. And by the time they reached the rock that marked the boundary of the known world, they had already become old men. But the hero was not ready to die. He rallied his men with the words, Brothers, you have sacrificed everything for this sunset. Our time is nearly over, so let us not waste it by refusing the final challenge. Think about your pedigree. You were not born to be cattle, but to be heroes, to know and to know, to know and to do what no man has done, known or done, to boldly go where no man has gone before. After that little oration, he could not have held them back if he'd tried. They set their backs on the east and burst forth from the Mediterranean, the ship's oars like wings as it swept westward over the ocean, arcing steadily to the left until the sky turned upside down. After five moons, they spied a mountain in the distance, the biggest Ulysses had ever seen. They began to sing for joy, but their song soon turned into a lament. A storm arose from the mountain, smashed into their bow and formed a whirlpool. They spanned three times before the ship's poop rose up and prow shot down, and they continued their valedictory voyage into the depths. Having concluded his tale, Ulysses excused himself, leaving Alexander very confused. That's not the ending I remember, he told the author. Wasn't he supposed to make it home to Penelope? He was a great hero, the author replied. Maybe he swam home. Then why end the story there? Because he explains why, it explains why he's here. Does it, Alexander protested. The whole of Malbaud is supposed to be where people are punished for fraud. So far, as far as I can tell that is, we've had pimps and seducers. Prostitutes, very broadly understood. Careerists, fortune-tellers, bribe-takers and thieves. Is that right? Pretty much. And now, explorers? Oh, come on, you can do better than that. Alexander reflected on what Ulysses had told them. He'd effectively abandoned his family, it was true, and encouraged his men to do the same. Before that, he'd been known for his trickery. But what was fraudulent about wanting to go to the ends of the earth, to push the limits of human experience and knowledge? Should they also expect to find astronauts down there? The author pointed to another flame racing along at a gallop. He said it was the third Earl of Lucan who had ordered the charge of the Light Brigade, passing off mere magnificence as warfare. Then he asked Alexander if he played chess. He knew he very well that he did, badly, because he had beaten him several times. Alexander got bored and took stupid risks. The author had tried to explain the difference between a bold move and a suicidal overreach disguised as a bold move. The former involved careful appraisal of one's situation. An analysis of one's limitations as well as one's possibilities. The latter came of a glib, suck-it-and-see attitude, not a genuine yearning for knowledge, but a lunge for experience, which is always a kind of death wish. That was Ulysses' fraud, when he had perhaps perpetrated against himself as much as his men. Alexander was duly chastened, not only by the reminder of his lousiness at chess, but also because Ulysses' story now made him think of his own situation. The author had brought him here to seek knowledge, he supposed. All along he'd been torn between grim fascination and detached amusement. Was his attitude sufficiently honest? And that's that's it, that's pretty much the approach I've taken throughout to unpicking uh, these things. So I'll leave it there, Andy.
0: Okay. Um thanks. That was a uh, really interesting, Dylan. Um so I'm I'm curious, I mean. Just so I'm trying to, let's start with the Dante, first of all, because um, you kind of talked very briefly about his enduring appeal, but um, I was wondering whether you could say a little bit more about that, because it's, I mean, I've kind of discovered Dante only a couple of years ago and read a kind of a, a, quite an interesting kind of guide to it, uh, the themes and so forth and then sort of got it into reading and I suppose the kind of the thing that I found about it more than anything else was the sort of well the incredible language you know the rich poetry it kind of just carries you along with it to some extent and I, I'm wondering whether that is the main thing that sustains it into the 21st century or whether the themes like you talk about the moral you know the your your own discussion about morality Whether the themes he talks about, he talks about in such a way that kind of doesn't close down the discussion as it might if he was a strict um, Catholic, you know, going along strict doctrinaire lines, but kind of is constantly opening it up. I don't know if that's something that is a factor in its enduring appeal or, or what you think that might be or what you think it might be.
1: Yeah, i think I think it wouldn't it wouldn't have stuck purely on the language um if only because you know' it's, it's in uh, the Florentine dialect of the 13th century it's uh, it's quite difficult actually um to to, to engage with sometimes I, but I think that if you're fascinated enough by the themes and you come to it, the, the text and then you, you dig in and that's when you you can kind of fall in love with it um but I think the reputation is based on the um, on our kind of focused understanding of, of what's going on. And I mean, the great thing about just about all the, certainly this translation and others is you, you, you can have it with um, English on one side and the original Italian on the other. And, if, you know, if you're basically literate in English, you can more or less work out which word is which, um, uh, even if you couldn't possibly understand it um, without the translation. Um, and I spent a lot of time when I was doing my, uh, um, my book, kind of looking back at the Italian and trying to figure out if I could find the cognate that was appropriate, um, which would probably will not be noticed by readers at all. But um, it's it, the, the rhythm of the language is also very important. Um, uh, famously d- impossible to 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 translate effectively. Um, uh, the torture, demo, I think. If, 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 you, if you're if you faithful to the rhythm when you translate, then what you come up with in English is going to be gobbledygook. Um, so the kind of the price of having a, a lucid translation is, is having, you have to give up certain elements. And so, you know, as someone who doesn't read Italian, I, I, I haven't experienced the real deal in the way that, um, that scholars have. Or, um, even modern Italians can probably relate to it um, in, in, a, in a different way, but yes, I, I think the, 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 the enduring appeal is about the ideas. But once you get into the text, then it, it, it draws you in even further.
0: Okay, and and then um, just going on on with the sort of the what kind of I suppose what kind of narrative it is, or what kind of you know what he, what Dante is doing, really, because um, is is he. I mean, and I suppose it kind of connects with what you're trying to do. Is he kind of trying to tussle with the um, moral ambiguities within Catholicism and within Florentine society? I mean, I, I read, I think I read that he wrote it in exile, large, wrote the poem largely in exile, and that he had been very badly treated by the um, uh, the kind of the powers that be, his patrons and powers that be in, in Florence. And so to... And also, he doesn't he kind of refer to a number of the characters that you know, living people in Florence as being in hell and being punished for the sins that he sees them having committed. So there's a kind of revenge scenario there, perhaps.
1: Oh, very much. It's much more about score settling than it is about theology or any any kind of worthy intellectual pursuit. Um, he does um, put right. So you, you, you've got the um, the great divide in, in Florence between the Goths and the Ghibellines and the pro-empire and the, and the pro-papacy. And so translating that to Glasgow, I had quite a lot of fun about um, Rangers and Celtic and Catholic and Protestant, um, as you, you, you can imagine with that. Um, and he was, uh, he, he's a black elf. So he's, he's on one side, but he's kind of not quite on that side as well. So it's, it's, it's really complicated politically. Um, and I, you know, I thought about how do I translate? I'm not gonna have the Lord Provost of Glasgow because it's just not as, not as interesting as a Florentine warlord. Um I'm not really interested in doing national politics either. Um so I've, I've learned much more on the on the mythological stuff and drawing in other other kind of um characters. And, but but actually the nice thing about me taking this on as a as a detective novel kind of is I can bring in gangsters. And because gangsters are probably closer to warlords than modern politicians are, although there's a place for politicians too. Um but yes, he, he it is very much of its time, the two categories of, of characters he's got in there, I suppose. One are those political score settlings uh, so people that you would know if you were a contemporary of of of, of Dante. And also, it's 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 kind of interesting because uh, it, it was the whole thing was the Divine Comedy was completed about thirteen twenty. It's set in thirteen hundred uh, Easter, um, so mine is set in two thousand because it's just a neat seven hundred. Um, but you, there's a, some of the characters don't know things that have happened since. Some of them can see the future, but there's an interesting thing that you can, you can kind of have reference to contemporary politics in slightly complicated and in, interesting ways. It does a, uh, does a lot of that. So there's the contemporary figures and then basically mythological figures. Um, not a lot of biblical or, or Christian, really. Um, there's only slight allusions to that. Um, but yes, uh, Greek and Roman legends, um, are, are the other kind of stock characters and, um, obviously that's not about score settling, but it's about, it's also about referring to other writers, um, writer friends of his, um, uh, in some cases score settling with, with with writers or trying to play himself up. Um, there's all kinds of, kinds of bravado and things going on there. But yeah, I wouldn't say it was particularly worthy in its motivations. It's just, it just happens to be fantastically um, done as a piece of literature.
0: And so thinking about um, how you worked it, um, the kind of the, the language and the poetry, I mean, I suppose, you in know, fact, it's written in, in Italian that you can't read and so you're using English translations, but did you find what kind, what were the challenges in translating it from a poem into a narrative and to what extent i mean one of the, one of the things like reading your the prologue for um your novel uh it seemed very well it was very visceral almost gothic in its kind of language and its sort of impetus um and i'm wondering you know did you find it fr- did you find connecting with Dante and trying to translate this, the poem into a, a kind of a more of a narrative piece, a story of prose piece. Did you find that daunting or stimulating? I mean, is it sort of, it seems to me like you were very stimulated by it. Um, yeah. But, you know, it must also have been quite scary to do. So if you're matching yourself up against, you know, sure. <laughs> the <top> um, canon. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, that's why I wouldn't have dared to try and do it in, in verse, because it would have been horrific. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's both daunting and stimulating. And actually, the prologue that you read is from Robert Burns. It's the same treatment to, to Tam um, which is a, a, a very much a narrative poem. Um, probably, it's, it's at a similar level to, to, uh, to Divine Comedy, but probably more narrative, I think, So it's quite easy to do as a, as a simple story. I'm not aware of any... Um, Successful straight prose translations of of, of the Inferno or the Divine Comedy, um, but it certainly doesn't. There there are moments where I had to make a choice between being novelistic about it or or just keeping something from Dante and. I don't know if if people read it and think that's a very strange line why is that there it's probably because of Dante and I wanted to to, to keep an idea um, uh, from him rather than worrying about conforming to the expectations of what a novel is supposed to do Um, so he does have occasional um, almost breaking the fourth wall where he'll talk to the reader Um, you can do that in novels too but it's uh it's 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 done in a different way, the expectations are um very different. So yes, there's I mean there's all sorts of other um literary influences that I've picked up on, but you, it's always a compromise um you know using using a, a poetic source. And then there's long long chunks of when I say like so the when uh, Dante meets the users, it's just a few lines. Many of the cantos will consist of uh dozens of lines um, that aren't really about the story at all, um, just reflections on um, nature. Uh, you know, lots of allegories from nature and agriculture and sort of pastoral. It's very much of its, of its time. And again, that's, that's quite challenging. To, you can't expect modern readers to, to have the same sense of the rhythms of nature and of farming and so on that Dante expects of people. Um, and he kind of goes off on uh, long digressions sort of we'll talk about um,
2: uh,
1: Fortuna, for example, um, huge chunk which doesn't seem to have anything to do with the story. And in some cases, I've kind of left those alone. And in some cases, I've adapted them to my own purposes. Oh,
0: good. Okay, that's... So I'm going to open it up to the um, floor now. I've got Jane um, willing to... Uh, ready to speak. Um, I'll unmute un- you, Jane, so please l- raise other hands. Um, uh... Ah! Okay, you unmute yourself, Jane, I give up. Um, okay, I mean, I'm just intrigued that you started your introduction in some ways in talking about Dante going into hell, and at that time there was a shared understanding of what morals would be or what hell would be and what you know crimes that uh, were deep enough to be in hell would be. And, but, so how are you translating that? Uh, into your novel. You're obviously discussing morality or thinking about morality, but obviously that must be really different in a time when there isn't that agreed consensus about what right and wrong is. So I just wondered how you were thinking about that and and tackling that. Okay, good. Dolan, do you want to come back on each question or do you want to take a few at a time?
1: We can take a few as long as it doesn't get out of hand.
0: Okay, let's do, I'll do um, Elizabeth and then Jenny, and then you can come back. So, Elizabeth.
3: Okay, thank you, Doran. That was, uh, your reading was absolutely phenomenal. I am a fan of yours. I love Alexander in uh, the first novel. And so I'm looking forward to read um, this novel of yours. Um, Just to draw the attention actually on the language, and um, when uh, um, I when I did my master, I was uh, a student of um, Albert Russell um, Ascoli, and um, let me find the um, in the acknowledgement is um, a note from the authors. And if, uh, what is the Acknowledgement? Dolan, do you have the Acknowledgement, the page of the Acknowledgement? Oh, here. Sorry. And it's written down, uh, um, our greatest debt is to Albert Russell Ascoli, who repeatedly, repeatedly gave both the translation and notes extremely detailed and surgical scrutiny. And I asked him, why, were you, uh, why you, did you become so interested in, in Dante? And I think that the language really is the first hook for one uh, a medievalist, or study of medieval, uh, you know, Italian medieval. I think that the, how the language goes, because what Dante, I think, is extraordinary did is uh, to create this uh, terzina concatenata, and I want you to, uh, to explain what it is. So he wrote all uh, hell, paradise, and, and uh, purgatory by, um, okay, composed three verses and then chain the three v- verses one with the other, through rhyme. If we take the first uh, canto, for example, you have ta vita oscura, vita, first line, oscura, second line, smarrita, that is already the rhyme with the first one. So the second, oscura, does the rhyme with dura, smarrita, then um, in, is uh, stays like that, that is introduced by another rhyme, that is forte, that does morte, paura, oscura, Trovai, Intrai, corte, and every every three, there is a new rhyme that is taken in the second um, terzina. If you had the text you could understand. So the musicality is absolutely phenomenal of, of the rhythm. And uh, and he sustained all the way through. Another thing that um, makes Dante so alive is that, uh, for example, in, in Italy um, there was a Benigni uh, an actor and so many other theater that uh, took it, took Dante around uh, um, the world actually because he you know and and really explain and talk about uh, the narrative but i i uh, for sure the imagery is phenomenal and for sure it is uh, an absolutely fantastic way of knowing what was happening in the 1300. You know, it was a period of a big turmoils, uh, the Pope and the states, uh, but also the communities, uh, um, as a as a um, you know city states uh, were were coming up, were coming to to you know be very um, strong. Um, Dante. Um, um, then was exiled. so you have also a portrait of the different type of uh, um, you know, um, Italian type of reality. He, he went to Ravenna, he went to Verona, he was in Venice. Uh, and uh, and uh, this comes up in, uh, you know, in his uh, literary production. Um, but what I think uh, and uh, is the most important thing is really the language. The use of the language.
0: Okay, thanks. All right, Jenny, um I'll try unmuting you. Oh
4: uh, I'm all right. Yeah. Well, how do you follow that? <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Elizabeth. I mean, I'm I'm sure that's the reason why most English translations are actually written in free verse. It would be impossible to sort of capture the rhythmicity and the rhyming um, of the Italian, I'm sure. Um, I wanted to, um, I I read the Oxford World's classic edition um, and it was introduced by um, David Higgins and he made a couple of points and I wondered what uh, Dolan thought about them. First of all, the introduction, as as it is better said, outlines the sort of political situation in Florence, and um, clearly Dante's exile from Florence um, had a great deal to do with the fact that you rubbed the, the the current pope up the wrong way completely, uh, Boniface the Eighth, I believe. Um, but um, Higgins actually argues that Dante was. Really, the first creative writer, you know, of of of, of our millennium who, who really took a stand um, with regard to the current moral, religious, and obviously political issues of the day. Um, and it it to me, what what little I read, which is mainly directed by Dolan, you know, it was clear that, um, that there is a loathing of the sort of materialism, the, the sort of political opportunism and, and, and various things. But the, the, the point he makes um, about hell, I thought was interesting because he, he argues that really, hell, hell is the realm of the flesh. It, it, it is completely bereft of spiritual experience. So actually in hell, he's not dealing particularly with the religious or spiritual side of things. It's much, much more the sins of the flesh, um, you know, the the, the moral uh, turpitude, the debauchery, um, you know, violence, fraud and so forth. So I wondered whether that sort of influenced why you um, looked at that and just the, 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 other question is really the how you saw Dante's sort of political uh, commentary um, uh, as as possibly you mentioned the sectarianism of of, of Scotland or Glasgow in particular, but I, and, and said you avoided any kind of political um, uh, allegory, if you like. But nevertheless, that that certainly comes through in hell quite a bit, sort of the political cynicism and um, uh, injustice. So I just wondered whether you took that at all further in your
0: book. Thanks. Okay, Dylan. Thank you. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean. uh... I mean, I, I suppose that, that kind of relates a little bit to um, what Jane has asked about there being less of a shared morality today than than the one that Dante could take for granted. Um, and so it's perhaps more challenging. I I, I do think, you know, the, the schema that, that um, Virgil sets out for Dante, explaining to do with incontinence, malice and so on, doesn't really necessarily fit with um, any moral scheme you would think of today. Um, so you know, there's obvious questions about, you know, um, in Dante the the, the the very bottom of hell is Judas Iscariot, who's being chewed in the mouth of mouth of Satan, um, uh, and um, there's Brutus next to him who who betrayed the empire dante and dante's politics are pro empire in the sense that he thinks that the, the holy roman empire as the successor to the roman empire will bring about a greater civilization and so on and but betrayal is the great sin um not child abuse not genocide not any of the things that we think well surely that's much worse than simply betraying a friend or uh, and something like that and you have to get into a certain psychological frame to, uh, of, of seeing that and i think one way of Is moving away from the idea that the the, sin is measured um, in terms of its consequences, because actually sometimes you can have awful consequences arising from a mistake or from a trivial kind of malice, Um, and sometimes you can be really uh, someone can be really evil and actually not really do much with their evil, but in God's eyes. Um, they, that's worthy of, of of punishment. So there is an idea with it throughout Christian theology. Subsequently, um, that it's more about what you make of yourself over the course of your life. You know, are, are you making yourself um, a horrible, terrible person? And it's that's actually much more individualistic and psychological than than some of the ways we think about it. But I think there is an element of that in Dante even. Um, In terms of the, 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 the politics, you know, I mentioned uh, Empire. I mean, it, the, the thing is, the politics is so chaotic at that time when Dante was writing that there was an idea that can someone just come in and settle things and stop this internecine kind of constant betrayals and... Uh, conflict which isn't never it's never really about principle and it's 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 about people it's not even really about one city against another city because there's always a faction betraying another faction and so on and so there's no, there's, there's not no kind of principle to sink your teeth into and I think that, that in that there is a desire for um, uh, for principle to matter for morality to matter um, and it isn't necessarily so it doesn't lean very heavily with, actually on on, on Christianity at, at least in the inferno. So yes, it's 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 a kind of desire for order, I think, as much as anything. Um and so that you know some of the worst sins that those that lead to disorder, distrust, discord, all those those kinds of things. Um I mean actually come back to come back to why Muhammad is in hell. Um, at the time it was believed, um, or at least it was said that um, Muhammad had been a Christian cardinal who had um, been uh, <laughs> and grudged the fact that he'd not been promoted. He wanted to be Pope. He couldn't be Pope. He said, right, I'm going to go set up my own religion, and that was Islam. So that's why it's schismatic. Obviously, it has nothing to do with the actual history of Muhammad or Islam, but within the way that, that Dante sees things, that was, that was the, the, the rationale for it. But I think there is very much a desire for some kind of cosmic order to be imposed. Um, and that's, that, I mean, that, that's possibly why Uh, the Paradiso is is often seen as less exciting because actually it's all about approaching that order and celestial circles and uh, it's all zen is probably the wrong reference but it's 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 a a world away from the visceral physical realities of of hell which are much more compelling to us um so i I hope that i'm not trying to answer the question but uh, and then on the language yeah i mean i, I just agree i think it's impossible to, to do justice to the italian in any other language it's, it's a bit bit like the french dramatist or a scene, um who does everything in rhyme and the trouble with rhyme in english is it sounds ridiculous it, it sounds like a joke if you if you if you, if you make everything um, rhyme so very difficult to um to do that satisfactorily but yes i, I think just reading it, actually, even if you don't know the Italian, um, reading it, you can feel the musicality of, it, and that's really rewarding. I mean, I found that. When a when there's a passage I particularly like. I'd look over at the at those verses in Italian and read them to myself, and it would probably be a comically awful accent, um, but you you hear something, and it's, it's it's quite a fun thing to do.
0: Okay, thank you. All right. So, um, more hands. Uh, got Dennis coming now. So. Uh... Unmute. I think that. Can you unmute yourself, Dennis?
2: Now, Can you hear me?
0: Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, good.
2: Uh, great. Uh, thanks, uh, Dolan. That was great. Congratulations on the new book. Um, I, I was uh, I was interested in in your in in in, in I suppose why this language and why this poetic sensibility uh, could flourish at this moment in time. Uh, and um, one of the things I was reading about Dante pointed to the fact that in so many different arenas. So for example, take, um, take his, his, his kind of uh, capacity to transfigure, if you like, the whole um, medieval Christian worldview. He did that, in many different ways, it seems. One, he took the kind of the cosmology of, 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 of the Aristotelian, Ptolemaic kind of cosmology about how the heavens were ordered and transfigured it into the way that he wrote the Divine Comedy. So the Divine Comedy reflects the, the, the Ptolemaic, Aristotelian notion of how the heavens and the planets sort of circle each other and so forth. So basically he's integrating classic learning into sort of a Christian worldview at that level. And that has tremendously important implications, obviously, later on when, when you know the geocentric notion of the earth as the center of the universe, which the earth is the center, you know, of the of the of the of the divine comedy, it's at the center of everything. That has big implications later on when that idea is questioned. But um, so there's a kind of a, a, a Christian, a, a synthesis between the Christian and the, and, the, and the classical worldview in relation to cosmology, but equally in relation to sort of uh, many other aspects of, of classical kind of thinking, like Eros and the idea of human passions and human sensi- very human sensibilities, as opposed to, you know, the idea a Christian worldview of God-given sensibilities um that uh, that uh, he kind of seems to embody in in the divine comedy and um in, in a sense the kind of dealing with the problems of of uh, the relationship of the church uh, you know uh, to 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 ordinary people or indeed to so someone like dante there was a great period of of um kind of Problems of trying to integrate classical thinking, like Thomas Aquinas trying to integrate and the scholastics trying to integrate Aristotelian thinking into the Christian worldview that was proving very pl- problematic in the sense of you know you had the split in the papacy and the popes going, Pope going to Avignon in France, you had a sort of Meister Eichhardt and a kind of whole splurge of, of Christian mysticism in Germany and more broadly in Europe. So you had a lot of controversy around the whole idea of Christianity in and of itself. And, you know, there had been earlier sort of split Dominicans and so forth taking vows of poverty. So um, I'm just wondering to what extent all of that creates the, 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 the possibility for a new language, a more human centered language, which is dealing with all of the problems that human beings have, you know, the, the vices and virtues and so forth that that's what is the kind of motivating factor behind this, this kind of work of work of art, if you like.
0: Yeah, there's some great points there. Um, that was really good, but people don't, you don't need to, um, you know, feel free to put up your hand, even if you've got a question that you feel is really basic. So, um, I just wanted to encourage people to speak, even if you don't know a huge amount about Dante or the period of the time. Um, anyway, Sabina, you're next. Uh, mute. Yeah, there you go. Yep. Hi.
5: Can, yeah, can you hear me? Yep. There you go. Yep. Good. Okay. So um, I've just got a basic question because I'm not really a specialist on Dante, but I am looking forward to reading your book, Dolan. Um, I was intrigued by you using the example of Ulysses because um, in some ways it seems to me that Ulysses um, when talking about morals has always been, uh, from time past to now, a kind of um, questionable, intriguing character. He's always, there's never been a very clear moral to Ulysses. So Plato famously sort of hates him, you know, says you shouldn't really be reading this kind of, you know, you shouldn't be reading Ulysses. He also passes through the, um, you know, through, through the chamber of the dead where he meets Achilles and Achilles says it's terrible to have died as a hero. It would have been much better to be alive. You know, you mentioned Ulysses was always whining and complaining. So he's kind of a bit of, he's always been a bit of an anti-hero. And I wonder whether, um, and I I believe probably Dante picked him up for that reason too, because he's just so, you know, you can't really make sense of him. And I was wondering if that's also one reason why you kind of mention him or or pick him out, especially Um, so, you know, whether there is a kind of historical continuity of kind of Grappling with things which still seem to be open to us as they were, you know, in Dante's time and even before that, um, talking about Plato's time.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, Dolan, do you want to come back on those two questions and see? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: that one's, that one's really interesting um, because actually, just from the, the, the passage that I read, which is all we hear from Ulysses within the, in the, in the book itself. I mean, I, I like the idea of exploration, even of risk-taking, of stretching the boundaries of human experience, and all that kind of stuff. So I that I mean, that's partly why I find it challenging and interesting to deal with. Why is that sinful? Or why, why why might it be um, not such a, a heroic or worthwhile thing? Um, what the other? I mean, that that's one of the examples actually that, in terms of Jane's question about the the shared sense of morality that I think is. And I, I'm interested in counterintuitive morality, and saying, you know, why is, why is this wrong? Um, and so there's a kind of question about that. And there's been a huge debate among scholars of Dante about what he meant by the Ulysses thing and whether we're supposed to take Ulysses at his word when he talks about it being, Hey, I'm I'm all about human pro- progress and knowledge and stuff. And so, you know, I'm, I'm an explorer or whether that's disingenuous. He's actually just covering for himself being a kind of reckless, um uh adventure in a in, in a bad sense the other interesting thing about that in terms of the period and um the, the you know this is pre renaissance really or early renaissance depending how you want to date that but um it's it's the beginning of you could you could see it maybe it's a bit romantic because the the beginning the the flowering of humanism and the renaissance that's coming and in terms of what dennis was 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 saying um interesting question about why Dante dis, does have Ulysses you know, dying in the Atlantic Ocean and not getting home to um to Penelope. Um actually Homer's Odyssey was not in every library. Um the whole text was not available. And so some people say, well, Dante I just hadn't read it, he didn't know that story. So others say no, there were different fragments around and other writers around the team, same time at least knew that bit. So he made a decision to to, to disregard that bit and and take it in his own direction. And then he, he takes a fairly free um, view of, 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 of mythological sources and so on. He, 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 he takes them and does, does what he wants with them. And that, that is the sort of creativity of the time, again, as Dennis was saying. And Dante's often bracketed with Boccaccio, obviously, in Italy, but Chaucer in England. Um, mean, I mean, the, the, the obvious point being that they wrote in the vernacular, the, the thing to do at the time would have been to write in Latin which would have got you a European audience. And would it been surely, if you want to write something universal and get a contribute to humanity in the Renaissance, you'd write in Latin. Then people could understand that all, all over Europe. Educated people could. Um, but even though it was the vernacular. And it wasn't like everyone could read in the vernacular. You're still covering quite a limited audience of people who are educated enough to be able to read uh, in the vernacular. But that was a really interesting decision, and I believe there's something there about uh, that the best way to approach the universal is through the particular um, Latin is maybe too abstract. It's uh, too distant from the reality of, of the, the viscera of everyday life, which is very much what Dante is dealing with and what Chaucer was dealing with as well. I mean, Chaucer has, similarly has all kinds of dirty jokes and uh, and that kind of thing that, again, are part part of the um, appeal. But it's interesting that, that I, I think that side is more the, the viscera, the, the dirtiness even, is more what contributes to the universality to the humanism than the cosmology, um, and, the, and the cosmology. I, I have to admit, I always I find that the least interesting part of what Tanith is doing, and um, I kind of think don't bore, don't bore us with the details. I mean, he actually talks about the um, the dimensions of hell. He's got, he's got a system worked out about what goes where, and he's constantly referring to um, uh, the astrology and the, st- the stars and so on. And you, you, you that's fascinating if. If that's the sort of thing that you just find as fascinating, but I think it's quite different from um, what struck, what appeals to me, and I think I suspect what appeals to most readers.
0: That, that's quite interesting because it's sort of I, I, you know as, I've, as, as people have been talking, I've been thinking about the idea of every man, and um, you know the idea of you know what is it? You know that kind of the universal universal story being about the kind of the individual, the human individual, you know, that kind of thread running through history of the human being struggling with their reality and their real existence. And whether in Dante's time, I suppose partly from what Elizabeth was just saying about, you know, um, that people took Dante's poem out, you know, and toured with it, you know, performers presumably of some kind, and toured with it and, and brought it to the populace. In that way, <clears throat> with a language that was just beginning to be developed, and then your comparison with with Chaucer's interesting because that again is that ordinary people, you know, talking about their lives, um kind of you know in a in a ri- quite a ribald way, but in a very real way. And so, is it sort of something about it that's sort of like I suppose you know that we're talking about Dante, and, you know, that, like it's the beginning or the early stages of this idea of the ordinary person, the demos, the, you know, the ordinary person as being part of a demos as being part of, you know, a bunch of ordinary people all with common interests and common um, experiences at some level. And that's what he's bringing out. And that's why it, it's kind of sustained because then it is picked up, isn't it through Shakespeare and through, you know, literature since Dante international, you know, non-italian literature since Dante has picked up on Dante as much as possibly as much as Italian literature has so there's that sort of continuity um, since that period of the development of the idea of the person as being part of a bigger populace
1: yeah I mean I I wouldn't that, I mean that's really interesting I, I, I mean I wouldn't say it's 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 anything like democratic because it has has um his ethic is still very much aristocratic that you know he belongs to a particular class that, that kind of rightly well, rightly rules as as, as as he would have seen it um but yes uh, he' said the point is it can be picked up and 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 read and you know the fact that it was performed would have brought it to different new audiences who couldn't have read it because they weren't literate but would have been able to engage with it and I think would have recognized perhaps recognized themselves I think that's I mean, I, as I said talking to Wendy this morning about this. That I think there's a kind of parlour game you can play where you say, "Well, if I were in hell, which which circle is uh, is for me? Where would I end up?" And you can think, "Well, I'm a bit like that one, or a bit like that one." Um, you know, leaving aside the question of whether you think it's fair, um, I think because because the characters are so human, you can say, "Well, yes, I can." Sometimes I can be a little bit like this guy, or or like or like that. Um, And in that sense, there is a kind of everyman humanity to it. But um, I mean, it's also significant. It is very much uh, medieval Catholic theology. So in contrast to something like um, Bunyan's Pilgrim's Tale, um, Pilgrim's Progress, um, which is obviously later, but has a different kind of subjectivity to it. Um, Dante is, I I would describe as a kind of aristocratic um, mentality.
0: Okay. Any other hands? People sort of, uh, uh Jenny, you want to speak again? Um, yep. Don't be shy, people. Don't be shy. Okay. We've got about another half hour. We don't have to, um, spend the whole time, but, uh, yeah, this is the opportunity mm-hmm. to ask your questions or make mm-hmm. your own comments. Jenny? Well, just
4: following up on, uh, your point and Dolan's, um, response, I'd also be interested in what Elisabetta thought of it, um, because again, in in the introduction I read, uh, Higgins sort of argues that actually Dante was really cutting across the norms of medieval sort of style. So typical of medieval style would be the allegory and the sort of visions visions and, and so forth w- would really be the norm whereas he's sort of saying well, he calls it a comedy um, which is, is really in terms of the word choice, in terms of the actual style it's, it's very much more what uh, he, he regards as sort of the average or the sort of un, un, you know, un-rhetorical um, or sort of more inclusive style. So he was—he he actually comments, um, and, and, and he is an Italian speaker. He comments really on this very uh, uh, sort of different style uh, in Dante. Yeah,
0: I, I, Elizabeth, do you want to come in at all? Um, put your hand up if you do. <laughs> oh
3: yeah, okay. good. Yeah. Well, um, to be honest with you, um, I think that uh, the book that, oh, let me, let me uh, do something first. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. Um, I think that uh, the translation that Dolan has got, has got a wonderful introduction and um, uh, to the world of Dante. I, you know, I, I with uh, Russell, Albert Russell, I did Boccaccio and it was very very interesting uh, because uh, Boccaccio refers, you know Dante became the poet uh, or the writer to emulate in uh, that period so Petrarca and Boccaccio really aimed to him and they are all contemporary You know, Dante was born in in, uh, um, 1265 and died in 1321. Petrarca, 1304, and he died in uh, 1370. And um, uh, Boccaccio, it was 1313 or 1314, and he died in uh, 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 1375. So they are very, very much contemporary. And Dante became... uh, really the superstar, and a lot of references are in Boccaccio's and in Petrarca's uh, literature. Now, in this introduction, so I'm not a specialist of Dante. I like to read it, it's on my, uh, you know, book book holder in my kitchen, because when I wait for the cattle, it's really nice for me to have that language. Um, But in this introduction that I read, it's very interesting, um, the description of, a uh, literary description of that period, because you have the Trobador, I don't know how to pronounce it, language, and all the Roman de la Rose, and you have the reign of the two Sicily with uh, um, Frederick II, that was an absolutely you know, illuminated type of ruler that called all and, and uh, developed and uh, facilitated the uh, uh, poetry at his court. So you have, uh, for example, in 1256, the birth of the sonnet with Jacopo da Lentini. And uh, and Dante pretty much is very, very much influenced by all this uh, really wonderful atmosphere. And um, at that time, uh, always in this uh, introduction, at that time, um, you know, the different type of discipline were um, together. So you have, uh, for example, um, that uh, lawyers and doctors, they exercise themselves in uh, poetry. And, uh, you know, you have fragments of poetry all over the, scattered all over the places. So I think that, uh, you know, this was the background then yes of course he was an extraordinary writer you know he could put very difficult and structured type of uh, um, concept and imagery in uh, uh, an italian language vulgar language that was you know um, amazing but but um, uh, uh, i don't i don't know why he chose the vernacular um uh, but I think that, uh, you know, in a sense, uh, Florentine, as a little bit today, they think that they are the center of the world. I think that, you know, at that time, you know, Florence and, uh, and uh, the, um, the new type of sentiment with the mercantile type of class that was defeating the Pope and defeating the aristocrats, Going all over the places. Do you imagine, for example, Marco Polo? You know, Marco Polo goes to China, and we are in that period. We're in the 1200s. So you know, is is a real period in which Boccaccio, for me, um, is uh, absolutely a fantastic. Read in capture the um, uh, you know lively uh, the intellectual stimulating uh, type of period. These are people that start to have money and going around. And so Boccaccio, for example, in his address uh, uh, in the the Decameron, you know, is the story of these uh, seven girls. That is the the outbreak of the uh, Black Death in uh, 1348. There are these uh, seven friends, and uh, he addresses uh, then by saying, dear girls, you lost the fathers, you lost uh, the, uh, the brothers, you are finally free, you know, from sexual constraint of getting married with this or that, to go, go to the countryside and enjoy yourself. And they go and they write, uh, you know, call three friends, uh, 10 of them and write uh, and, and um, tell and, and told 10 uh, stories each um you know it's 100 stories in two weeks so you have that sort of and it's so beautiful the boccaccia as well in giving you a portrait of how really free that society was so i think that really dante was the first one to really make that. that uh, and and by the way you know cavalcanti for example all these wonderful um, poets, they wrote the most incredible, filthy as well, but, you know, robust type of sonnets.
0: Okay, thank, thanks, Elizabeth. that was great. <laughs> okay, um, Dolan, uh, oh, I've got, so what, I'll I'll just see if there are any more qu- hands, and I'll, then I'll bring you in, Dolan, to kind of s- say a few final comments, and then I'll unmute for any sort of like, you know, more f- more informal chat towards the end. So, um, okay, okay. Uh, Let's see. Yeah, Dennis, um, can you unmute yourself?
2: Okay, I'm unmuted. There you go. Yeah, um that's very interesting. Yeah, I mean I'm just thinking about I, I, I suppose I tend to think trying to think logically about things a bit too much, which is not very helpful. But um one of the things that strikes me is, for example, almost classificatory system of you know the inferno and hell and about you know the way dante sort of uh, outlines how specific sins produce you know a certain um punishment is characteristic of you know aristotle's kind of you know systematization the process that he that would have been becoming known to people uh, in 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 dante's time and uh, you know the rediscovery of 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 the of the ancient classics and um i think Perhaps the reason why he wrote in the vernacular is because there is an overwhelming sense of uh, reaction against the kind of church hierarchy and the Latin-speaking kind of world of 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 the, of the monarchs and and the popes and so forth, who who are seen as somehow sort of. I mean, there are quite a few bishops who get consigned to consigned to hell as well. That Dante consigns to hell, so you know you, you get a sense in which maybe he wanted to sort of separate himself off from them and write write for you know what was perceived to be you know the less sinful ordinary people but but nonetheless sort of you know steeped in the in the kind of in the in the theological kind of christian kind of ideas about hell and heaven and so forth or or you know maybe he wanted to frighten people maybe maybe he he felt that christianity and uh you know, the world, uh, maybe he felt sort of, you know, um, like he, his Christian world was slipping away to some extent and he wanted to frighten people. It's, I mean, it's important to remember that just before he wrote this, Europe is experiencing the Black Death and the plague. Um, so, I mean, those things must impinge to some extent on him. But uh, uh, it, it ends up producing something very different and very new by virtue of, of perhaps some of those reasons pushing him in, in 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 that direction to write in that way.
0: All right. Yes. Interesting. Um. Uh, Yvonne Jones, unmute. Uh, unmute yourself. Yvonne, can you unmute yourself? No. Take. Uh, Huh. all right just unmute yourself and i'll can you yeah there you go
5: Yeah.
0: i think um, we were counteracting each other
5: sorry <laughs> yeah that's my just, fault but... just a short question really given the complexities of dante and uh, the whole uh okay. divine comedy but referring to the inferno i wondered if there was one Primary theme or structure that inspired you, Dolan.
0: Okay. All right, now, Johnny, you want to speak? Uh, thank you. Uh, unmute yourself, Johnny. Yeah.
1: Sorry, I, I was just coming back to uh, the, the questions people were talking about <laughs> about the Florentine influence, and I was just wondering whether. whether uh, it relates to Chaucer, you know, what, how that, because I, I don't know about things, but Chaucer, he, he, he wrote in a, an English vernacular, that, which was a counterposed to a northern vernacular. Um, so, Is it, it, that a sort of parallel with what's going on here with the Florentine version of, of Italian, as against a, in, in Chaucer's case, a, a southern version of English? Um, you know, is 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 there some parallel there? That's my question.
0: Okay, good. All right. So there being no further questions, Dolan, um, do you want to say your last few? Answer any questions you want to answer, and then then um, we'll just sort of wrap up. Start to wrap up.
1: Sure. Um, I mean, that's I mean, I, that's an interesting question in terms of the parallel between England and um, uh, Italy, but. Although, I mean, we tend to forget how how much conflict there was within countries um, throughout most of European history, Um, and England is no exception. There's the anarchy, there's all sorts of basically civil wars on a kind of lower simmering scale, but I think not as much as in Italy. Um, I think the the conflict between the Italian city-states was more intense and more bloody than anything that was happening in England, so that's one difference. Um, But politically, certainly, there would have been similar kinds of rivalries. It just occurred to me, there's a a passage I remembered where um, Dante talks about uh, Pisa, and there's a very famous um, episode towards the end of the Inferno where um, a character called Ugolino tells his story and he's he's at the bottom of hell. He's chewing the skull of the guy who killed him and his sons Um, and he takes a break to tell his story and then at the very end um, I'll just read this um, so he's describing how his sons had died, and then he, di- he possibly cannibalized his sons because he was starving to death. Um, and so after he finished his story, Dante continues, when he had said that with eyes askance, he took the wretched skull and his teeth again, which were strong against the bone like a dog's. Ah, Pisa, shame of the peoples of the lovely land where see is spoken, since your neighbors are slow to punish you. So this is a peculiarity of, I'm probably not pronouncing it correctly, but the Pisans pronounced C differently um, from a, from a, other Italians, apparently. And this is uh, used for a swipe against um, against uh, against the Pisans. think that kind of thing is littered throughout this that, um, and referenced to language. When Dante walks through Hell talking to to Virgil, people say, "Oh, oh is that a Florentine accent? I recognize the Florentine dialect." And and so they will engage him. They recognize that he's um, as this has been discussed. I know in the in the group chat. Um, the, the, yeah, the, the choice of Florentine is, is a very particular type of vernacular, um, and you know it's really interesting to hear Lisabetta talking about how, how those rivalries within Italy continue still. Um, I think that's I think that's all I wanted to pick up on. Um, yeah, the, I mean in terms of the inspiration, I think for me the, the thing the, the thing I mean I. I, I mean, everyone knows, everyone's heard of, of Dante and knows about the Divine Comedy and about hell in particular and some of the ideas. That people talk about circles of hell, special place in hell, all that comes from from Dante. Um, and I don't know when, it, it, it was many years ago the first idea, idea came to me and I had the character that I thought it would be interesting to play with that. But I think it, it is that the, the, the psychological gap between Dante and Virgil, um, that dialogue, about the nature of morality and about the nature of reality, I, I, I suppose what drew me in and I found fascinating and wanted to kind of replicate it. Um, and then there's so much more once you dig into it that, that you can enjoy. Um, but that's, that's, that's the main thing I think that I've taken into my own um, writing and we'll probably continue to think about even when I'm not explicitly mm-hmm. adapting Dante or thinking and those terms is a kind of psychological depth, which is amazing 700 years ago. Um, uh, the, the fact that it still speaks to us now. Mm-hmm. So yes, I, w- I mean, I, I would hope that perhaps vainly, I would hope people would read my book and then think, well, wow, I need to go and reach the Dante and see what, what what's going on here, what's going on there, and kind of draw those parallels. Because it's unlikely to happen the other way around. So if I could bring people to Dante, that's good.
0: Okay, so before I um, unmute all and to applaud uh, Dolan's excellent um, talk, I... Um, First of all, wanted to say his, to read his book, you absolutely do not need to have read Dante, and as he just suggested, you might it might work in the other direction that having read his book, you'll want to read Dante. But um, his book completely and utterly stands alone and has its own um, life. So uh, please do get hold of a copy. Um, I think you'll find it very enjoyable, and um, and then I also wanted to mention that we've got two more talks coming up over the next um, month, yeah, month. So on the 28th of July, uh, we've got a cellist, Gabriella Swallow, talking about two of her two inspirations, uh, composers, uh, J.S. Bach and um, a modernist composer, Lachenmann, who um, I find it possible to listen to, but uh, was her inspiration. So um, do come and join us then on the 28th of July. And then on the 6th of August, we're moving away a little bit from this theme of um, inspiring artists to talk about the future of the arts post-lockdown. And um, you'll be probably fairly much aware of the sort of various, um, you know, the real crisis that's going on in the arts and the the discussions about government funding and so forth. And so we've got a really excellent panel of speakers to thrash that out over the next um, on the 6th of August. Um, and both those events are on Eventbrite and also on the Academy of Ideas website. So uh, please join us again then. So I'm going to unmute you all so we can all clap loudly. And uh, thank you very much, Solan. And I'll keep it unmuted and open for a while. So if you want to jump in and t- chat and say anything, um, please do.